Well, welcome to our next session here. We are privileged to introduce a voice that inspires thousands daily across various platforms. She also happens to be my daughter's favorite uh, <laughs> podcaster. She's a beacon of faith and a bridge of connection for Catholics around the world, Katie Prejean McGrady. A devoted wife, mother, and an acclaimed author whose words have resonated with so many, she is a sought-after international speaker, a consultant for the USCCB Working Group on Youth and Young Adult Ministry, and the dynamic voice behind popular podcasts, Ave Explores and Like a Mother. Regularly contributing to Blessed Is She, our Sunday visitor, Alicia, and the uh, Grotto Network, she's made a mark in Catholic literature. A respected commentator on CNN, she brings a Catholic perspective to global issues. You may know her from the Katie McGrady Show, her daily radio program on Sirius XM's The Catholic Channel, where she talks about pop culture, current events, and Catholic news. She stands at the forefront of youth and young adult ministry as a consultant for the USCCB, demonstrating her commitment to guiding future generations. Please join us in giving a big Wichita, Kansas welcome to the Midwest Catholic Family Conference, the dynamic, the inspiring, Katie Prejean McGrady. These introductions always embarrass me because then I'm like, I got to live up to all of that. Sometimes I forget I do that stuff. Or I try to hide the CNN one. They're very nice. Let's just say they pay well. That's why I put up with that in my bio. It's great to be with you guys. Um, I am so excited. Everybody's always like, yeah, you got you to do one in the exhibit hall. And then you get to do one in the other room. I was like, give me the exhibit hall. Give me the room where people are buying popcorn and sodas and like hoping that the coffee machine starts working. I can, I can play this room. The other one has a little formal, a little stuffy. So we'll, we'll go have some fun in there tomorrow. Afterwards, there's a Q&A session and I plan on saying nothing at the Q&A session. So don't stump me, okay? I'm just going to kind of sit there and glean the wisdom of my favorite Jesuit on planet Earth, Father Spitzer. It really is a nice, uh, it, this is a change of venue for me. I've been on the road a lot this summer, but most of my time is spent alone in a corner office of my house. In fact, a couple of years ago, we had career day at my daughter's school. I feel like Jerry Seinfeld with this thing next to me. Um, we had career day at my daughter's school, and it was this big deal. All the kids got to introduce their parents, and so all the parents are lined up, and each kid gets to go up in the front and say their name. So up comes little Christian Terrio, and he goes, hi, my name is Christian, and this is my daddy, Doug, and he's an engineer. And everybody claps for Doug the engineer, because we know what engineers do, right? Like, I think they make the world go round. I'm not exactly sure, but it's a cool job. And then up comes little Lincoln, because millennial women have named their kids things like Lincoln. And Lincoln is standing there, and he goes, hi, my name is Lincoln, and this is my daddy, Jared, and he's a lawyer. So everybody claps for Jared the lawyer, because we know what lawyers do for a living. And then up comes little Rose McGrady, and she's got ringlet hair and a gap smile and her teeth. And she goes, hi, my name is Rose, and this is my mommy, Katie. And she talks to the wall while she's alone. <laughs> and everybody turns and looks at me, and I went, I work in radio. It's a real job. And my desk faces a window, so I'm really talking to birds and squirrels. And my mom, I for a long time was convinced the only person on planet Earth that listened to my radio show was my mom. And then lovely people come up to me and say they listen to it. So I think I have a job for a little while longer. As long as I can pay for Catholic school, I'm fine. 
By the way, books are for sale in the back for $15 a piece. Uniforms are expensive, folks, so I'd be really grateful for your support and for your help. But it is nice to hop on planes and get to go to different places. I've been all over the place this summer. It was kind of weird. 2020, the world closed. Didn't do any traveling after March of 2020. In 2019, I traveled 183,000 miles around the world. I went to England three times, Australia. So then I was grounded in 2020. Things kind of came back in 2021. 2022, everybody literally breathed a sigh of relief. And then 2023, we were back. And the Catholics came back in 2023. And so I had events all over the place in June, all over the place in July. We were on the road. It was kind of wild, kind of crazy. And I, I've been training myself along with my spiritual director. Let me put it this way. My spiritual director has been training me to have a better attitude about that wonderful thing called flight delays, which when you travel as much as I do is just kind of a part of life. You just have to learn to go with the flow. The one thing I never pray for is patience because then the Lord gives me opportunities to be patient. And it usually comes in the form of a gate agent saying, this flight is now departing and, you know, 20, 30 minutes later. I don't think I've flown in the past six months without some sort of a delay somewhere in the trip. And you are completely at the mercy and the will and the whim of someone else when you are delayed flying, right? Like, it's not like I can go fix the problem. I, I can't call them up and ask to put me on a different plane. Most of the time, it's the only plane that's going to the place that I'm headed in time for me to get there. And so last week, I had one of those moments where I was just like, you know what? I'm at the mercy of the flight. I'm at the mercy of the flight attendant. I'm at the mercy of the pilot. I'm at the mercy of the airport. I just have to learn to go with the flow. And I'm able to go with the flow a little bit more easily lately because of something my spiritual director has had me do for the past few months. See, 2022 was so exhausting and crazy with the radio show and with podcasting and with my kids and with all of the stuff that just comes with life that in January, my spiritual director gave me an assignment. And he's a good, he's a good priest. He's a good holy priest. He's a Dominican. His name is Father Patrick Mary. He's one of the holiest guys I know. But he is a tough spiritual director. One of these days, I'm going to have to fire him because it's just he gives me the, the hardest assignments and so in January of this year, he told me my assignment, my project for spiritual direction was that anytime something doesn't go my way, and that's a lot of times because I can be a very persnickety and particular person about things. So when something doesn't go my way, I have to say the words, what a gift, which is a very passive aggressive thing to say if you think about it. Like the coffee machine is broken over there and I had to say, what a gift, I'll take a Pepsi instead. And I really wanted a cappuccino, like that's all I wanted. What a gift, right? Like you have to teach yourself to say these three little words that are supposed to change your attitude, right? So this past year, anytime something has not gone my way, I'm saying those words, what a gift. What a gift, because here's what happens. You start to train yourself to realize that these moments that are patently annoying, that provide great fodder for the radio, but are incredibly frustrating in real life, are actually moments of grace, are actually moments where God's presence can become more manifest than perhaps ever before. So Friday, last Friday, I'm flying up to St. Paul, Minnesota to speak at a youth conference with 2,500 teenagers in a gym. 
So just like we are here, right? A bunch of young people gathered together, praising the Lord. So I, I, I'm supposed to get there for 2 o'clock. Our team mass is at 4 o'clock. That gives me two hours to just kind of recover from a 4 a.m. wake up. Flight got delayed. What a gift. I roll in at 3.45 for the 4 o'clock mass with our team. And I'm up until like 11.30 with everybody else. And I have two children. I haven't slept well in nearly six years. So I was exhausted. The next day, we've got the whole gamut of youth ministry. I had two talks to give. We've got the big adoration that night. It was a completely just like your body is aching. You're so tired by the end of the day, but you feel really good because you've done good work for the Lord. What a gift. Next Sunday, we wake up. Everything is good. The conference finishes strong. We head to the airport. Everybody gets on their flights on time. I land in Dallas on Sunday evening at 6 p.m., and I have two and a half hours before I have to make my connecting flight to Orlando, because I was flying straight from this conference to the Supreme Knights of Columbus convention to do my radio show and to host the show with Cardinal Dolan. And I love Cardinal Dolan. I'm one of the only people that they let host the show with him so I can keep him in line. So I'm like anticipating, okay, I've got to be on my A game with the good Cardinal. He's voted for Pope and he knows it. So I got I to get ready, right? And so I'm sitting in the chilies in DFW, right at like gate C-15, having some chips and salsa and a Coke. Everything is fine. And a flight delay comes through. Oh, what a gift. I can sit here a little bit longer. I'm fine. And then a first class upgrade came through. What a gift, Jesus. Yeah. Like a little more leg room. I can stretch out. It was a red eye, so I wasn't going to get to Orlando until 1 o'clock in the morning. But that's fine. I don't have to go on the radio for, for 12 hours so I can sleep in in this lovely Marriott hotel with a bunch of Knights of Columbus around. So they'll sell me insurance and keep me safe. It'll be real good once I get there. I get on the plane. I sit down. They bring me a cup of coffee because for some reason I'm drinking coffee at 9 p.m. We back up from the gate and I've flown a lot in my life. I have seen pretty much everything that can happen on a plane, short of like somebody going crazy and opening up the exit door when they're not supposed to. And as we're backing up from the gate, all of a sudden the lights go off and the whole plane shuts down. And I mean, it was a power outage on the flight. And I'm like, well, it could have happened in the air, so what a gift. Thanks for happening here, Lord. Like I have trained myself to say this in even the most benign of moments, and the pilot comes on and goes, sorry about that, folks. Um, so the plug fell out. Now, I've been on a lot of airplanes. I didn't know they had plugs. And I didn't know the plugs could fall out. So the guy next to me goes, that doesn't sound good. I was like, no, it doesn't. So we wait a few minutes. He's like, we're going to fire everything back up. Don't worry about it. We'll be on our way in just a few minutes. A few minutes passes, no lights. A few more minutes pass, no lights. The flight attendants now seem a little scattered, and you know things aren't good when the flight attendants, who are cool as cucumbers, are getting a little, a little frazzled. And they take us off the plane in darkness. We're all standing back at gate A25, right across from Papado's, so it smells like old Mexican food at 9.30 at night in DFW. And I, having been trained to say this over the past eight months, what a gift, Lord. What a gift. You know things are really bad when the flight crew just disappears. Like, they just walked away from the gate. And I'm sitting there charging my phone against the wall because I found a plug spot, which is, you know, very coveted territory in an airport at 9.30 p.m. with all these angry people who just want to go to Orlando. And most of them were not going for an insurance convention. Most of them were going for Disney World. So they were in a much worse mood than I was. And they keep delaying and delaying and delaying. Finally, they push the flight to 8.45 the next morning. 
I need to get there before that flight's going to leave because I've got this radio show starting at 2 o'clock. So I rush on over to the Hyatt that's at the DFW. I get a room. I get them to put me on the earlier flight. I get to that earlier flight at 7 o'clock in the morning. I am exhausted by the time I land in Orlando. And here's the thing about the happiest place on Earth's airport. It's like the third level of hell. Like it is a bowling alley of an airport, not nearly as nice as Wichita. People just look, like you, there are two types of people in the Orlando airport. The people who are excited to go to Disney World and the people who are sad that they went. And you've got the moms and dads who are exhausted and you've got the parents who are like, I'm about to spend a month's mortgage in this place on food. And so I'm walking through and I keep telling myself, okay, I made it, I made it. It's 12.15, I can get into a cab by 12.30. It's a 30-minute drive to the Marriott World. I've got like 30 minutes to reset myself. The show will go on at 2 o'clock. I'll do two hours of live radio, one hour of taped radio, and then I can crash. Like, I just got to make it to 5 o'clock. I just got to make it to 5 o'clock. And I walk out of the ground transportation area looking for a cab stand, and I cannot see any cabs. And I don't want to wait for an Uber because you have to walk to a whole other area, and it's a thousand degrees outside and muggy and you can walk through a washcloth. So I just like need to get in a cab and I have to tell myself, what a gift. There's no ride. I'm not going to make it on time. Maybe I can go rent a car and I'm like trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And see, here's the thing. When you say what a gift, as frequently as I have begun to say, you start to notice that things are actually kind of all gifted moments. Even the ones that are really frustrating. Because if there is a moment that is not as it should be, frustrating, annoying, challenging, stretching your virtue, which is just a nice way of you're trying not to lose it, right? Just a really nice way of saying that I am, I am being humbled in this moment, Lord. I am being made more patient in this moment. But you start to realize that if the moment does not yet feel good, if the moment is not yet working towards your holiness, then the moment's not done. That God is not finished with it yet. Because all things work together for the glory of God. And so in that moment, yeah, I'm patently annoyed and frustrated and tired and sweaty and just want to go to bed but have to go do three hours of live radio in front of a bunch of guys who don't care that I'm there, but I have to be there, right? Like, I, I have to go do this objectively challenging part of my job after a crazy 24 hours of travel, but what a gift. And as I'm walking out and realizing there's no cabs at the cab stand, I think to myself, well, maybe there's one that I just can't see. And sure enough, I come out next to a column, and I look over, and there's a guy. It was like something out of a movie. He's leaning up against his cab with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. And I look at him, and you make eye contact with a cabbie, and they pounce. And he went, you need a ride? And I went, yeah, I need to go down to the Marriott World. And he went, 50 bucks, I can get you there in 20 minutes. And there's like a, a rule of thumb. Cabbies aren't supposed to quote you a price ahead of time. Like, they have a meter. And I'm like, I think I might die if I get in this cab. He might not be a real cab driver. He could have just painted his car yellow and seen what happens. But I, I'm going to get in, because I need to get there, right? So I get into his cab. He starts the meter, but he, like, freezes it so that it's just gonna be $50. I've got 20 minutes to get there, right? I, I've looked at the Google map, it's gonna take 30, but maybe this guy drives like a New York cab driver, I don't know. So I'm just in the back of the cab, I text my family, on the way to the airport, all good, should make it in time for the show, hoping I can get a shower before I have to go downstairs. And I close my eyes in the back of this cab. 
Again, not something that you should do in the back of a cab, but I was so tired at this point, just so exhausted from all of the, like the mental gymnastics I had to do. So I'm sitting in the back of this cab and I doze off for a second, maybe like a minute. And as I'm, my eyes are closed, all of a sudden I start hearing worship music. And I kind of think to myself, I'm so tired that I'm hearing praise and worship songs in my brain. Like the conference that I've just been at with all these young people is still in my head. Like that's how exhausted I must be. So my eyes are closed and I'm hearing this worship music. And then I like keep hearing it and it gets a little bit louder. And I'm like, what is, am I having a stroke? Like this is not normal. I open my eyes and I just kind of like look over and the, the cab driver is on the, the Christian station, like the Christian radio station. And I, he sees me like move my head to kind of see the dash. And I went, is this worship music? And he went, yeah, are you Christian? And he cranks it up. And the whole 20 minute drive, this guy is just pumping praise and worship music into the cab. And I couldn't help but laugh. Because of all the cabs that I could have climbed into at all the times in the day, and I was supposed to be there the night before at 1 a.m., not at 12.15 on a Monday, two hours before I'm about to go live on the radio. What a gift. This random moment. Some people call these godsidences, right? I think that's kind of a cheesy word, but I get it. Or these little God winks where the Lord just kind of shows you these, these moments of his goodness, these moments of his grace. I get to the hotel in plenty of time. I shower, I change, I go downstairs. We do three hours of live radio and I am dead to the world. Like I got through them by the grace of God. I am just ready to go back to my room and order some room service. And as I'm like packing up my stuff, my producer and our program director goes, hey, Cardinal's flight lands in about 20 minutes and he wants to get dinner with everybody. And I realize my hopes of watching Parks and Rec and ordering room service have just been dashed because the Cardinal wants to have dinner. What a gift, Lord, what a gift. So I say, can I have like 30 minutes to just go like slam some espresso or something? Because I am really tired. And Adam's like, yeah, 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 it'll, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. He doesn't want to meet for dinner until six. You have like an hour or so. Okay, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll meet you guys in just a second. And as I'm like finishing up packing my bag, and I just have it written like all over my face, the last thing I want to do is see any more human beings over the next few hours because of the next morning's chaos, and then I've got to fly home. And I just, I looked beleaguered. I looked burdened. Have you ever felt that weight of the world just because all of the confluence of events? And right at that moment, three nuns walk past. And that's when you know God really loves you, when he sends you three nuns in a moment of exhaustion where you were like on the verge of tears from being so tired. And they weren't just any nuns. It was Sister Mary Gabriel, Sister Mary, and Mother Agnes of the Sisters of Life. And I have a deep love of the Sisters of Life because my sister is entering the Sisters of Life in just a couple of months. And I'm like a hardcore fangirl. She keeps telling me to tone it down, but you can't with them. They're just amazing. I was live streaming the final vows earlier in my hotel room, like crying in Hyatt 615. Like, yes, you go girl, like love Jesus, marry the Lord. So these three nuns walk right past and Mother Agnes turns and she sees me. And I don't, I've never met this woman in my life, but she knows my sister pretty well. And she read the letter that I wrote for my sister's application. So she, she knows my name at the very least. And she sees Sirius XM and there's one woman on the Catholic channel. Hi, it's me. So she probably realizes, oh, that's Katie McGrady. And she just beelines it over to our table. And she grabs my hands, two hands, and she holds them close. And she goes, my dear Katie, it is so good to finally see you. And she just pulls me into a hug. It felt like hugging the mother of God in that moment. And she said, what are your plans for the evening? 
And I'm like, well, mother, they can be rerouted for you. And she said, well, what, what do you have? And I said, well, I'm supposed to get dinner with the cardinal. And then my boss steps forward. He's like, cardinal's flight is actually delayed. We're going to have breakfast with him tomorrow. What a gift, Lord. What a gift. <laughs> and she said, we're going to pray. Would you like to come pray with us? And I said, sure, because who turns down praying with some nuns, right? And the next thing I know, I'm in a chapel with 12 Sisters of Life at the Knights of Columbus Supreme Convention at 5.30 p.m. And I just, I couldn't hold it in. I just started tearing up in the back of the room as I'm sitting there with them. That the confluence of events, the chaos of the day, they had to be walking past just at the right time to see me there packing up my bag. That Mother Agnes has to be the generous person that she is, that she invites a fangirl of their order to come pray with them for evening prayer. But here's the real kicker to all of it. After we were done praying and I went to go have dinner with my, my team and then I came back in, there was a concert happening at the event. And I was sitting at the concert and I ended up sitting next to one of the sisters, Sister Mary. Sister Mary's older. She looks a lot like my grandma, so I just feel a real connection to this sister. She's just so kind so heartwarming. She has a, a great gift for names. And so Sister Mary and I are sitting there, we're visiting, and as we're chatting and as we're talking, she's like famous in the Catholic world and a rock star at this conference. And so as people are walking past, they're stopping and talking to her. And this priest walks by, and he used to be a military chaplain. And so they start talking, and he mentions somebody's name. And she goes, oh, yes, yes, I've been praying for him, specifically to Father Capon, the Kansas boy. And I, my ears perk up. Like, I was only, like, half listening to the conversation. You don't eavesdrop on nuns. That doesn't usually work out in your favor. But she says that, the, the Kansas boy, and I'm like, Kansas? I think I'm going to Kansas soon. So I open up my phone, like, double check. Oh, yeah, I am going to Kansas. So the guy walks off, and I turn, and I went, Father Capon's in, he's in Kansas now? And she said, ah, yes. And I went, I'm, I'm going to, to Wichita this weekend. And she went, why? And I said, <laughs> Well, for a conference, and she went, there's nothing in Wichita. And I said, no. And she said, but Father Capon's in Wichita. And I said, is he really? And she said, yeah. He was just moved there last September, right? Two Septembers ago, last September? Two Septembers ago. She, I had no idea. Like, I knew, but I didn't know. Like, I talked about it on the radio, but I didn't know. And now I'm sitting here with this nun, and I wouldn't be sitting with this nun if I hadn't prayed with them earlier, and I wouldn't have prayed with them earlier unless I'd been so tired that this sister decided to rescue me from being social, and I wouldn't be so tired if I, if I didn't have delayed flights, and I wouldn't have even heard this praise and worship music that put me in the mood I needed to be in. And I know this is a long, drawn-out, absurd story to just articulate a very simple point, but I think every single one of us has these moments these absurd little golden threads of God's grace in our life that lead us to precisely where we need to be and what we need to be doing and who we need to be encountering. And I think our world, our very hurting, tired, divided, faithless world that doesn't know up from down, right from wrong, or boy from girl, a world that is really desperate for truth, I, I ask myself on the regular, what would it be like if we had a generation, multiple generations, of believers who said what a gift in all of the moments that are objectively challenging, in all of the moments that are good and grace-filled and we can tell, and all of the moments where we don't know where the hand of God is, what would it look like in our world if we were people solely concerned on finding where God's hand is in those moments 
that would be far easier for us to roll our eyes at, but instead become a moment, even if passive-aggressively, we say, what a gift. And I've been super blessed to be involved with, with some of the planning for the National Eucharistic Revival. And, and while there's a lot of opinions swirling around about the revival and a lot of commentary given about who's speaking at the revival and who's not speaking at the revival, a lot of complaints about the price of the revival, although this conference is like pennies in comparison to that one, right? While there's been a lot of conversation about why revival, I, I keep going back to one very simple word in the National Eucharistic Revival, and that's the main word, revival, which of course is all about bringing something back to life, which begs the question, what's dead? And I think what's dead is not just a religious sensibility in our world. What's dead is not just belief in God, although that does seem to be fading more and more, at least according to the polls that they're taking. It's not just an understanding of the Eucharist. What's dead is a belief, I, I firmly believe this, what's dead is a belief and an understanding that God is good. See, we think of God like this taskmaster. We, we have a, a contractual relationship with God. Oh, well, I put in my quarter prayer and I get out my $100 miracle. Like God is a genie or a vending machine. Or, or God is a boss. He gives me these marching orders and I have to do this and this and this. I have to go to church and I have to do a holy hour and I have to carry a rosary in my pocket and I have to send my kids to Catholic school and I have to have a crucifix above my door. Like, and if I do all those things, then God will love me. Like I have to earn it from him. And that totally blows up when life gets hard. Well, I did all this stuff, God, and still my life is difficult? Or I, I, I achieved all of these external things in the church and out of the church, and still I, I seem unsatisfied and unhappy. And it's because we don't start from a place of God is good and therefore loves us because we are made in his image and likeness. We start from a perspective of, well, God clearly needs me to do things for him in order to earn his affection and his care. And revival, especially revival in the home, is actually revival that begins in the heart as we come to bring back to life within us the very basic gospel proclamation that at the beginning of time when God made the heavens and the earth and he put us in it and made us in his image and likeness, he did not do that accidentally. He did not do that because he was bored and had nothing better to do. He did that with great purpose and loves us have you ever thought about the fact that our lives are so fragile that we can't hold more than one breath in our lungs at a time? That literally every time we take a breath, it is an active thought of God to hold us in existence. That's how good you are. And that's how powerful he is that he can think of all of us. And not just in some general, all right, and they're breathing, and they're breathing, and they're breathing, but like intentionally focused on every single one of us as we breathe and as we choose and as we walk away and as we come running back, as we join together at a convention center, as we go back to our homes just wishing that we could like stay in Catholic utopia for a little while longer, that all of it is a gift because God is good. I mean, how many of us during COVID, how many of us during natural disasters how many of us during job losses? How many of us in the 2 a.m. wake up of the child that just won't sleep? How many of us, we sometimes look up at the heavens and we kind of rage, like, where are you in all of this? How could any of this be good? 
During COVID, after having the most successful two years of my career, traveling and writing and speaking, we were pregnant with number two, Claire, at the beginning of 2020. She is the Tasmanian devil because she is 100% a 2020 child. Like those kids hit different, they just do. I think it's because all the moms had to go to appointments by themselves and like the, the kids just toughened up inside and came out very powerful. And in March of 2020, the world shut down and I didn't know who I was anymore. I didn't know who I was because I wasn't traveling and speaking. I was just sitting at home podcasting and podcasting is great, but it's not the same thing. Feeling kind of like I was useless and, and pointless because I'd found all my value in externals. I thought that I somehow had to earn God's affection by doing all this stuff for him in the ministry world. I didn't yet know how to say what a gift to these challenging moments, right? And so in like late April, early May, I was, I was really struggling and I was laying in bed one day and my excuse was that I was growing a human, but let's be real, I was just depressed and didn't want to get out of bed. There was nothing to do. My kid was watching Bluey for the upteenth time. My husband was trying to e-teach and that was a train wreck because none of his students had computers so they're watching Zoom calls on their phones. My husband comes into the bedroom and he goes, hey, I think, I think you should go do something. And I was like, what, walk the aisles of Target alone? And he went, well, that's a valid option, but I mean, you could just drive around if you want. I think you need to get out of the house. Like, I think you go to Sonic, go like, I don't know, like go, go drive down to the coast. We live about 15 miles from the Gulf of Mexico. You gotta get out of the house. You gotta do something. He could just tell I was really struggling. So I got up, I got dressed, I got into our car and I found myself just kind of muscle memory driving to church. And see, every, every place did COVID a little different. We had a very creative priest at our parish who in the second week of COVID redid our parish adoration chapel where he removed a wall and put up temporary outdoor walls that could be pulled back so that the Blessed Sacrament could still be exposed outside. And so people could come to this outside courtyard and folks could be on the inside. He got, he got real creative and praise God, we have a Catholic mayor who just kind of looked the other way. And so we still had the Blessed Sacrament exposed to us. And I, I found myself just driving to church and parking the car and hopping out. And I walked in and there was this woman I've known my whole life, Ms. Constance, and she was sitting in the front row and she saw me come in and she went, oh, good, Katie, you're here. I have to run. And it was like 10, 15 in the morning. So she still had 45 minutes left of her holy hour and she bails and I'm stuck with Jesus. And he's, you know, gotta be babysat. So he can't be alone. So I'm stuck in a holy hour. And I was like popping in to say, hi, why does the world suck right now, Lord? Like, and instead I've got 45 minutes and I had nothing with me. And I'm the kind of person who goes to adoration with a Bible and like a playlist and two rosaries. Cause what if the first one breaks? Like me and Jesus have a lesson plan to get through. And I had nothing. I didn't even have my phone. I left my phone in the car, a millennial woman's nightmare. And it's just me and Jesus. And he got it. He got an earful. As I sat down, and I, just, I was just quiet for a few minutes, and then I let it out. Because Jesus is a big boy and can take it. And I just, I told him why I was so mad, and why I was so hurt, and why none of this seemed good. And how could he be doing this? My grandmother was in a nursing home alone, and we couldn't go see her. My father was furloughed from his job. I wasn't able to travel. My husband was trying to navigate teaching biology on a Zoom call with kids who didn't care before, much less now. My two-year-old thought she was in trouble and that's why she wasn't allowed to go back to school. Our life hurt and we had it pretty easy in comparison to people who lost their jobs and their businesses and their livelihoods. And I just let it out. 
And as I'm looking at the monstrance, I, I, I start to get a little more fired up. Like, I, I, we're having another child. We tried so hard and you give us a baby and then shut the world down? I was going all over the place talking about you and you took all of that away? What do you want from me? Have you ever said that to God? What do you want from me? Because, man, is that a harsh thing to say to the Lord? Thinking of him like a boss. You gave me all these responsibilities and I achieved them and still it's not enough. What do you want from me? And I heard it clear as a bell. I've only really ever felt the distinct presence and voice of God a handful of times in my life. And this was one of them. I feel like every person has a sensation when they, they feel God's presence. Mine's velvet. I feel like velvet is wrapping around me. And it felt like velvet was just wrapping around me. And I heard clear as a bell, Katie, I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. See, revival is rooted not in doing all the right Catholic things, not in going to the right Catholic events, although you should register for the National Eucharistic Congress. I'm obligated to say that at every event I speak at for the next year. It's not about listening to the right podcasts or, or going to the right masses or wearing the right clothing or, or checking all the right Catholic boxes. Revival begins in our hearts and extends into our homes when we recognize that God has something good for us. And that if it's not good, he's not done. And that if I can train myself, if I can talk to the Lord from this perspective of what a gift you are giving to me, that I can bring back to life in my heart and in the hearts of others an awareness and an understanding of God's presence in this world. That the best witness that we can give as Catholics is not come to Mass with me, although that's a great thing to say, but might be a little intimidating to the first person you encounter and try to share the love of God with. That the best witness that we can give is this radical trust in God's goodness, is this witness to the world that I'm making my way through life, good times, bad times, and everything in between, and most of it's in between. Most of life is pretty dull. Most of life is waking up in the morning and getting our kids fed and out the door, is talking to our adult children about coming back to the church, is occasionally coming to a, a Catholic event where you're surrounded by people who get it. But most of the time, we're just driving minivans and going to grocery stores and slogging it through a job and hoping beyond hope that God is real and present in our lives. And if we can find the goodness of God in that ordinary life, if we can find the gift that God is offering to us in those moments, good, bad, and in between, then that witness to the world changes things. That witness to the world reminds people that, that we're not just, you know, machined operating people who exist in this world to accomplish this or fill our bank accounts or do what other people tell us, but that we are individuals animated by the Spirit. That we are human beings who recognize a higher calling and a higher purpose. I've had the great joy of sitting down with Bishop Cousins quite a bit to talk about the Eucharistic revival, about why something stirred within our bishops. And, and we, can, we can be honest, I know this is being recorded, but I don't think they can fire me from the Congress yet. We know our bishops sometimes don't do what we need them to do. We know sometimes they don't show up when we need them to show up. We know now, three years later, they're finally asking the question, why didn't we fight back hard enough to keep our churches open? We, we know that sometimes it feels like here we are, members of the church, looking at our leaders going, lead me. 
I'm a sheep, and I feel like I don't have a shepherd, but something happened. Something happened in that private meeting of our bishops. And I've been to those meetings. I've spent a lot of time at those meetings. Something happened in one of those meetings where they realized if we don't bring about an actual conversation about why we're losing people and how to bring back a love and devotion of the Blessed Sacrament, then in 20 years, we're going to be kicking ourselves. In 10 years, we're going to be wondering why we didn't do something quick enough. And then 97% voted yes to an initiative. That doesn't happen. The only time they vote as a block is to approve saints. And like the only reason they're bringing it to a vote is because they double-checked that everybody was going to say yes. So the fact that they brought it to a vote, not even knowing if everyone was going to say yes, and 97% agreed to it, and then put money behind it, and hired talented people to make it happen. There's something happening in our American church right now that we cannot ignore. And it's bringing back to life, not just, a, oh yeah, that's Jesus really in the Eucharist, and here's the theological explanation of it. It's a bringing back to life of an awareness that God's goodness is so expansive that so much of our lives is a gift and every moment is a graced moment that the Eucharist is this, this anchor, this source and summit, as it says in the Catechism, that allows us to be able to step into the world and give witness to that. That we can go in front of the Blessed Sacrament and say, what do you want from me? And here, I want something for you. That we can step into Mass on Sunday, and even if the music is off-key and the homily is terrible and you're sitting next to someone you don't like, Jesus is still going to show up. That even though we might not be able to go into the explications and detailed, you know, all of the theological rigmarole about transubstantiation, as long as we know that that's really Him, truly present, then the rest of the world notices I was in Mexico City back in December for the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Arguably the coolest thing I've ever gotten to do in my entire life was walk in front of the tilma on the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And two nights before we were able to go to the cathedral for the feast, to the basilica for the feast, we were down in like the downtown part of Mexico City. And we're with a pilgrimage group. So we're a bunch of Catholics. We'd just gone to the cathedral. We'd just gone and shopped at some of the markets. We were having dinner. And after dinner, we walked over to this big square to just kind of hang out. And all of a sudden, we noticed this commotion over on the side. And in the middle of Mexico City, on a random Saturday evening, there was a Eucharistic procession. And so our pilgrimage group just kind of rerouted and like magnets were just drawn over to this procession and joined the procession for a couple of blocks. It looped around and came back. And one of the priests in our group speaks Spanish, and he started talking to one of the young people who was walking because we noticed everybody in the group was young, like easily under 40. And Father Gabe was chatting with them and learned that this was a group that had developed and grown in Mexico that were hosting Eucharistic processions all around the city center every Saturday evening. And that the groups would start 10, 15, 20, and people would just join them for different blocks. And then they would leave the group. And I thought to myself, that's the coolest thing I think I might have heard in a really long time. Just a spontaneous group of people who decided we're going to bring Jesus to the streets. And I, I mentioned to the priest that's from my diocese, I said, Father Michael, what would it look like if we did that in Lake Charles? And Lake Charles is a very Catholic town and a very Catholic part of the country. And he said, we'd get laughed out of the city. The fact that we think that we can't do stuff like that 
or that we can only do stuff like that at like a formalized event. And I'm not saying you need to walk up to Father the second you get back to your parish next week and start, you know, wagging your finger at him and saying, we need to do spontaneous Eucharistic processions. He might call me and get really mad. But what would it look like if we as Catholics were a little bolder in our announcement of the gospel? Even if, if it's not, you know, a, a bumper sticker on the back of your car or a rosary in your pocket that occasionally makes an appearance or conversations with your family about why your Sunday mornings is not going to the practice or to the game or to the family vacation, but is actually going to church and spending time there, making that the source and summit of the entire week. What would it look like if there was a renewed sense of the wonder and awe of God? I do this with my kids. I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and so it's very easy when you have little children, when you're sitting in Mass at the moment of consecration as Father holds up the host, to lean down and just whisper to my kids, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And they look at me like I'm cuckoo bananas because to them it doesn't look like Jesus. Jesus has a beard and very pale skin in all the pictures that they see of him. Jesus is not round and in Father Andy's hands 30 feet away. But even when I'm traveling on my own and I'm sitting in Mass, I sometimes say it to myself, that's Jesus. Gosh, that's, that's Jesus. What would it look like when you drive past churches, of which I know there's a lot in Kansas. You didn't just drive past the church. You know, there used to be this old tradition, my dad still does it, where you would just make the quick sign of the cross when you drive past the church. And I feel like people of a certain age still do it, and then it's kind of fallen out of practice. We don't do the sign of the cross with our kids. We say, hi, Jesus. And then right after we pass by, we go, bye, Jesus. And even on the days when I forget to do it, I have a very loud two-year-old in the back seat who will scream it at the top of her lungs. What would it look like if there was a renewed sense of devotional practices within our family, a revival of God's goodness within our home, where we're talking about a virtue of the week, or we're asking our kids, what did you hear in the homily? And then if Father's homily wasn't very good, welcome to 2023, where every Catholic priest has a podcast and you can go listen to a lot of them. What would it look like if on Sundays, and we started doing this recently, and it's hard, but it's good. On Sundays, we go device-free. I put up a curtain in front of our television. It weirdly looks like a tabernacle screen that comes back and forth, but we just kind of ignore the fact that it looks ridiculous. And we close up our TV on Sundays. There's no television on Sunday except Brother Francis. We do watch Brother Francis from time to time. And then the song gets stuck in our head. And my husband and I do our best to keep our phones in our bedroom so we're not scrolling mindlessly. And we just have a family day where we focus on the fact that we got to go to mass and then we got to have donuts or dodos as my kids call them. And I'm fairly certain for the rest of their life, they're gonna think if you go to church, you get a donut afterwards. And I'm okay with that association being built up in their head. And then the whole Sunday is devoted to family. And I realize sometimes that's not practical and tomorrow I'm gonna to be on an airplane and I'm fairly certain my husband's gonna let him watch Bluey at some point because he's gonna lose his mind. But what would it look like if there were these tiny orientations of our house? And I'm speaking about it from the perspective of a young mom with young kids. But even families that the children are grown, or the children were never there, or the children have totally disaffiliated from the church. The families that think, I just can't do that. Well, if you're not going to do this, and I mean it sincerely, 
if we, if you the people who showed up to a convention center on a weekend in August to talk about being Catholic, if you're not going to do it, then who is? And if the laity are not going to be the people to spark revival within our church, then I'm fairly certain the bishop's initiative will not work because there's only a few hundred of them. But what we have is that everyday devotion, the lack of pomp and circumstance, and just the real lived experience of trying to teach ourselves what a gift, the real awareness of God's goodness in our life, even on the days when it's hard, the excitement about the fact that the Lord provides for us, even in the moments when it feels like he's not, an awareness and a wonder and an awe, the goodness of God visible to us in the encounters that we have with people, a listening to the prompting of the Spirit, even when the Spirit is kind of annoying, revival, bringing back to life a sense of God's goodness. And I, I, I realize these talks all day long have been about all sorts of different things. I understand there was a demon talk earlier. That's pretty exciting. There was a, a talk about the Pope. That's pretty exciting. There was a talk about raising good Catholic kids. I can't give that talk because my kids are way too little and terrify me sometimes. But I think at the end of the day, what people remember from these conferences are not talks. And I say that as somebody who talks a lot. What people remember from these conferences are not the products that they buy and then they get home and they look at their debit card and they're like, wait, what did I spend money on? What we remember from these conferences, at least what I remember, and I have the best view in the house, is being in a group of people that are like us, feeling a little less isolated as we get to do what we get to do as Catholics, feeling a little rejuvenated as we step back into a world that sometimes criticizes or name calls, a world that thinks we're stuck in the past, a world that doesn't understand why we stare at this circle gold thing and say that it's Jesus. Like I said, I, I have the best view of the house when I get to go to these conferences and I get to meet people and I get to speak to people and I, I get to hopefully say things that help people. But 2023 kind of got out of hand as far as travel. You know, I said after 2020, I wasn't going to travel nearly as much as I used to. I was grateful for some of the slowdown, even if it was challenging and hard in the moments. And then 2023, the phone started ringing and the emails started coming back and I, I started saying yes to things and trying to juggle all the different responsibilities. And, and back in early March, I had an event in Long Island, or excuse me, on Long Island. I kept getting corrected by all of the lovely Long Islanders who love their bagels and their small town. So I was up there for three days, a Sunday, a Monday, a Tuesday. I'm flying home on Wednesday, and I was tired. It was my third event in a row. I missed my family. I missed my kids. I was tired of doing radio from a hotel room. I just wanted to go back to my house. And the conference, the parish mission, it was good. It was fine. People seemed to be moved. Jesus showed up. I was happy with it, but I was tired. Revival didn't seem to really be sparked. You know, you said the right things, you made people laugh, the talks went okay, but I got on the plane that Wednesday morning and I just kept asking myself, why was I there? What was the gift in this trip other than sitting in New York City traffic, driving through the snow in Long Island, a few New York bagels and some, some kind folks. Like, where was the gift in all of this? Because the real reason I had said yes to going to this particular parish mission was because it was bringing me to New York. And my sister, I mentioned a little bit ago, she's entering the Sisters of Life. She was supposed to enter the Sisters of Life last year, but she deferred for the year to finish her doctoral dissertation in canon law. She's the smart one in the family. 
And so she's been writing for the past year, and, and I was going to go up to Long Island to speak at this event and then get to see her, but now she lives two minutes around the corner, so I went to Long Island, and, and there was no reason for that, right? That's what I kept thinking to myself. I was annoyed. I couldn't see the gift in it. I couldn't see where revival was. And again, it had been fine, but sometimes I feel like Jesus is calling us to more than fine, right? And I got on the plane, I get myself situated, I was sitting in the bulkhead seat, so right there in the front, right before they close the door, a flight attendant gets on, she's in her uniform, and she sits down in the seat next to mine, she was flying standby. And I, I mean, we said, we exchanged pleasantries, hi, how are you, I got myself situated, it's a four-hour flight from LGA to DFW, I put my headphones in, I turn on a movie, I had the second Black Panther movie downloaded on my iPad. So I start watching it. I very quickly realize I don't remember the first Black Panther movie, so I don't think this is going to be enjoyable. But I slog through. I make it through the two-and-a-half-hour movie. We still have quite a bit of the flight to go. I take my AirPods out of my ear to put them in my pocket because I need to run to the restroom. And as I pull the AirPod case out of my pocket, I carry a rosary in my pocket, and the rosary comes out, and it kind of dangled out of my pocket. And I shoved it back in really quick, because I'm Catholic, like I carry a rosary in my pocket, but I'm not so Catholic that I dangle a rosary out of my pocket while I'm walking on an airplane. I have standards. I'm not a nun. So I shove it back in my pocket really quickly. I put my AirPods away. I walk up to the restroom. I, I come back, and as I go to pull my AirPods out, the rosary kind of gets caught again. It was like all tangled up in the AirPods case. And right as I'm going to put my, my headphone in, and I'm an introvert when I travel. I don't like to talk to people in airports. That's like where I think the one place in the world we should ban chit-chat. Like I just want to watch a movie and you can leave me alone and I'll be kind to you, but I don't want to learn your life story. But she sees this rosary and she turns to me and she goes, are you Catholic? And I hate that question. <laughs> like I, what's my answer? Yes, very. Let me tell you how Catholic I am. Like... So I said, yeah, I'm Catholic. And she went, oh. And then there's, there's always a pause. There's always a pause. And somebody goes, I'm Catholic too. Or usually, I used to be Catholic. And that's what she said. I used to be Catholic. And I didn't want to talk. I didn't want to have a conversation. She looked perfectly kind, but I had just been doing ministry for three straight days, and I was missing home. And like this stupid rosary in my pocket gave it away. I used to be Catholic, and I put my AirPod down, and I said, oh, why aren't you Catholic anymore? And the conversation begins. And for the next two hours, this woman, who I had no idea who she was, other than an American Airlines flight attendant who was flying to DFW to get somewhere in the world, had a lot of problems with the church. And they ranged from theological, to social, to scandal, I'm a pretty good Catholic. I'm a pretty good communicator for the church. I didn't say much. I just let her talk. And I think that's really all she needed. She just needed someone to listen to not just her grievances about the church, of which we've all heard them and might even share a few, but she hadn't really encountered anyone in Catholicism in a really long time that actually cared about who she was and what she had to say. And so for the rest of the flight, she just is telling me all this stuff. She went to Catholic school. She kind of left the faith during college. She'd kind of come back and forth in and out of some different ministries, some of which you would even know the name of. Eventually became a flight attendant because she wanted to see the world. And she was based out of LaGuardia, so she got to travel everywhere. She'd been to the Holy Land. She'd been to Rome. 
But she never went to any of the Catholic places when she was there because she just didn't feel like she belonged. And that was really the crux of it. She didn't feel like she belonged. She didn't feel like this church was a home to her. She didn't feel like anybody cared that she was there, so why would they care if she wasn't? So we can talk about revival from the perspective of let's revive our wonder and awe, let's revive our devotion, let's revive an awareness of God's goodness, but we also have to revive a love of the people we sit next to, a love of the body of Christ. The church is not an institution, it's not a place, it's us. And so I let her talk. The plane lands, we both kind of were so caught up in the conversation that we didn't realize the flight was about to land, and, and as the plane touched down, we had about five, ten minutes of taxi time to get to the gate left. And she catches herself. She's like, I'm so sorry. I talked your ear off the whole time. You, you're Catholic? And I said, yeah, very Catholic. I didn't tell her who I was or what I do. I, I, you know, I didn't want her to say, like, and what you just told me is now going to be a story that I tell on stages around the world. Like, <laughs> I just told her, yeah, I was actually at a Catholic event on Long Island. That's why I was up there. And she said, well, why did you stay? And I've got less than seven minutes at this point to tell this woman, here's why I love the church, and here's why I love Jesus, and here's why I've literally given my life to talking about him. So I just very quickly told her about a moment of encounter I had with the Eucharist at a youth conference when I was in high school that I wasn't supposed to be at, but that my grandparents drugged me along to. And the Lord spoke to me in a real way, and my life was never the same. And I remember how life was before that moment, and I remember how it was ever since, and I'd, I'd rather live in the ever since. She just kind of sat there and she smiled. And she said, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm flying to Kansas. And I went, oh, Wizard of Oz. And she kind of laughed. And she said, my grandmother's dying and I'm going to say goodbye. They, she's in her probably final days of hospice care. And I went, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I lost my grandmother in June of 2020. And she said, oh, I'm really sorry. And so now we've shared this moment, an ex-Catholic and a current Catholic one who's lost a grandmother, one who's losing a grandmother. She's flying standby to try to get there to say her goodbyes. And she said, she's still Catholic, like really Catholic. And I said, yeah, grandmas tend to be. And as we're sitting there just kind of holding the space in this moment, holding the gift of this moment, it's become evident to me why I had come on this trip, even though it had just been fine, just like it was evident why I had been delayed as I sat in that cab and evident why I was super tired when I prayed with those nuns. It's very evident why the Lord brought me to Long Island just so I could fly back from Long Island. And I felt this little nudge, that nudge of the Holy Spirit. It's very annoying when it happens. It felt like somebody you know, just pushed my back. Give it to her. And I'm like, what? Give it to her. And I went, no, that's mine. Because see, this rosary that was in my pocket was very, very special to me. It was a rosary that had been blessed by Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI and Pope Francis. A rosary that had been touched to a lot of saints' graves. A rosary that had been brought to the Tilma, dunked in the waters of Lourdes just a few weeks before I had this encounter with this woman. Probably my most prized possession next to my wedding ring. And, and the Holy Spirit is telling me to give it to this perfect stranger. Give it to her. No. I'm like fighting with the Lord in my mind. No, I can give her a holy card, I will give her my Bible, I will give her the catechism, I will give her my email, I'll give her my cell phone number, and that I don't pass out very often. But my rosary, no, not that, that's mine. Give it to her. I'll give you another one. See, if we really do believe that God is good when he makes these promises to us, 
I'll give you another one. He usually comes through. Because he's not a God of empty promises, and he's not a God that says things frivolously, and he's not a God who tells us he's good. He's not a God who promises us something beautiful and, and hands us something nasty. He's a God of good gifts. And so I reached into my pocket, and I pulled out the rosary, and I, I just kind of held it out to her, and she said, no, 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 no. And I said, no, I want to tell you about this rosary. And I told her who'd given it to me, a priest of my childhood, Father John Giles, who'd had it in seminary, who passed it on to me, even after it had been blessed by Pope John Paul II at World Youth Day in 2002. How I had carried it with me through Rome in 2008 when I was a student. How it had come with me to every time I'd been to Rome with Pope Francis and had been touched to all these different places. I told her about Guadalupe. I told her about Lourdes. And she went, I couldn't. And I said, no, you can and you will. And I just kind of shoved it into her hand. And she took it really quickly and she shoved it in her pocket super fast. Because I thought she thought I was going to take it back. And I said, I want you to pray it with your grandma. And she said, I'll try. And I went, I'm sure she remembers how to pray it. And if not, the internet. She kind of laughed. And I said, I'll be praying for you guys. What you're about to go through is really hard. But faith can get you through. And she smiled and she said, I'm hoping so. Maybe it will. And then we did that awkward thing where we've like had this really powerful moment and now we just have to like sit next to each other for a couple more minutes as everybody gets off the plane. When we walk up the jet bridge, I have a small devotion to Our Lady of the Jet Bridge is what I often say. She's not real, but she's real in my heart. And I just thanked Our Lady of the Jet Bridge as I'm coming off the flight. And we, we got to the end and we stop and we turn and we look at each other and she went, I'm headed that way. And I went, well, I'm, I'm headed that way. And she hugged me and she said goodbye. I didn't ask her her name. I thought maybe it'd be awkward at that point in case I'd like missed a name tag or something on her shirt. And she said, I hope we run into each other again. And I said, maybe so. And off she walked with my most prized possession. And I'm like, come on, Jesus. Like, maybe she was going to give it back to me. I don't know what was going to happen in that moment. But I gave it to her, trusting that God would do what he said he would do. And we can talk about revival until the cows come home. We can talk about revival until the events happen, as expensive as they might be. We can talk about revival in a lot of different particular ways. But I think at the end of the day, a revival in our church in America begins in the hearts and homes of people who know that God gives us good things. That he wants us to say, what a gift, even when it's really hard. That he invites us into a deeper encounter with him, most especially in the Eucharist, because that is where we see every promise he's ever given to us made manifest. And what looks and tastes and smells and sounds like bread, but is him. And then in the little tiny moments of devotion, in the awareness of his goodness, in those moments of wonder and awe that we're able to instill in our children, that we're able to give to ourselves, whether it's a quick, hi, Jesus, as we pass a church, or that's Jesus as we're kneeling in mass, or a moment of prayer before we share a meal, or a conversation on Sunday about the homily that we heard, what would it look like if this entire room of people believed that revival isn't something given to us from an institution or an organization or an event, but begins in our hearts when we look at the Lord and say, give me a posture and a docility to be able to say, what a gift. That's how revival happens. At least that's what I'm counting on. That's why I said yes to speaking at that event next summer. That's why I showed up here. That's why I handed a rosary to a woman I will never see again. Because the Lord 
gives us good gifts and doesn't just want something from us, but has something for us. Now, two very practical little commercials before I, I pass the mic back to the good folks who have kept me on time this whole time. Um, my husband and I have a podcast on the Hallow app called Family Mass Prep. We've been doing this podcast for a little over a year. It is a quick little seven, eight minute download every Sunday morning to help families get ready for the readings. So we're kind of silly, kind of funny, and then we dive into sacred scripture, all from the perspective of what does a five to 10 year old need to hear to try to make it a little more accessible. We needed this with our kids because our kids were asking to listen to like Justin Timberlake on the way to church. And we were like, no, we're not listening to the Trolls soundtrack. We need to listen to Jesus. And so Family Mass Prep was born of that. If you go to hallow.com slash Katie McGrady, you can get a free trial of the Hallow app. It is the best money that I spend all month on Hallow. I'm an employee and I still pay for the Hallow app because I love it that much. It's called Family Mass Prep. It's designed for young families, but we've gotten a lot of feedback from folks that everybody that listens to it of all ages, young and young at heart, really benefit from it. I was talking a lot about the Eucharistic Revival, and I think if you go to eucharisticrevival.org, a lot of people are like, what's the revival, and what's the Congress, and what's happening with this pilgrimage? Well, there's a walk that's happening all across the country from four corners of the United States. They're processing Jesus literally through the country to land in Indianapolis, Indiana next July, July the 16th, 2024. One of the routes is over 2,000 miles. One of the routes is starting up in Connecticut at Blessed Michael McGivney. I believe Kansas, Wichita is on the route to come through Father Capon's burial place. So you can check out the pilgrimage route. You can host those pilgrims in your home. You can sign up to volunteer. You can come to the Congress, but even if you don't want to go to the event or do the pilgrimage, there are resources on the Revival website about how to have a revival study, so a group that studies a book on the Eucharist together, how to be a Eucharistic missionary, not just inviting people to come to Mass, but really integrating people into parish life. So if you go to eucharisticrevival.org, it is a plethora of information. And then last but not least, I joked a minute ago that my book sales pay for my kids' Catholic uniforms. I wasn't joking. Have you seen the cost of Catholic plaid these days? And if you don't want to buy a book, you just want to say hi. I'll be at my booth, which is right out there by the Knights of Columbus booth, all the way down this main aisle for a few minutes after this is done before the Q&A, where I won't say a word, but I'll look up there and you know smile while I'm sitting next to all these wonderfully talented guys. Thank you all so much for being a great crowd. I'm really blessed that I got to spend time with you.